1: And hello, everyone. Welcome
0: to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend. This will be another busy week. Trade talks with China, a key USDA crop report, and, of course, lots of reaction to last week's announcement on... Renewable fuels. In fact, we'll have Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association on with us and Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board on with us today as well for their reaction to the White House announcement on the biofuels policy and uh, any reservations they may have about it moving forward. That's coming up as well as a complete look at the harvest forecast from DTN meteorologist rice anderson but let's start things off for today and for the week with sarah wyant editor and president of AgriPulse communications sarah thanks for joining us uh, let's kind of look at this uh, biofuels uh, announcement from friday long awaited uh, at first blush it seems good news for the biofuels industry but there are a lot of questions still remaining right a lot of details we don't have
2: absolutely good morning mike it's nice to be back with you The industry, I think, writ large, was excited to see that the Trump administration could finally make up their minds and come to some sort of a proposal that probably isn't everything the ethanol industry wanted, but it's certainly not anything the oil industry wanted either. And so this compromise, as you mentioned, is fairly short on details. It basically says that they're still going to allow these Small refinery exemptions to continue going forward, but they will ask the larger refineries to blend more uh, on a three-year rolling average to make up for those reductions that were called caused by the SREs. So it has to go through a rulemaking. We have to see how that advances going forward. And I think uh, a lot of those who are in the industry are saying, yes, it's a good step, but uh, let's not give it the highest praise we possibly can until we find out more of the details.
0: And it seems to me when you put more back into the hands of EPA, that's where the problem was to begin with, it seems like, from the biofuels perspective.
2: Yes, I mean, they've been continuing to do these uh, small refinery exemptions uh, under Trump. There's been 85 that were granted, and so that is reducing overall demand below the level set by the renewable fuel standard. But at the same time, how do they get back on track? And this seemed to be a pathway that was doable for the administration and gosh, we know how many different discussions they've had with all these different Midwestern senators with a lot of oil and ethanol industry advocates in the White House, and they just couldn't seem to get this advanced. And so maybe this is now a path forward.
0: We will see and looking forward to hearing from Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association and Kurt Cavart with the National Biodiesel Board later in the program. Meanwhile, a lot of attention again this week on... On talks with China
2: yes and you know there's been so much discussion about what's on the line with these talks when they come back together on October 10th a lot of expectations that it will not be the grand bargain that President Trump had originally sought but that perhaps there will be a limited deal on agriculture now you know he said before that he'd blow it all up if he didn't get the comprehensive deal But certainly looking at now the huge reduction in exports, the uh, impact that this is having not only throughout farm country on farmers and ranchers, but on agribusinesses. Uh, You're seeing companies like Deer who've laid off 160 people in a recent announcement. So there's all these different industries that are hurting, and even though the Trump administration has had some good economic numbers, uh, this is not going to continue to be a good sign going forward as he looks at 2020. I think the other thing the Chinese have probably got to be looking at is all these headlines on impeachment. And they're wondering, why should we cut a deal now when we don't even know if this guy's going to be here next year?
0: Uh, yeah, you have to make a you have to at least look at the fact that the impeachment proceedings puts more pressure on the administration to, to come up with some kind of a deal. Maybe not the deal they wanted all along, but the, the pressures mounting to come up with something.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm sure the Chinese can do the calculus that even if it passes, impeachment passes in the House, it probably won't in the Senate. Uh, And they can see that firewall that even Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, seems to be campaigning on. Uh, But at the same time, it does not make for the most, uh, I guess, robust negotiating position when you've got this kind of political pressure on you on the domestic side. And then you watch the Chinese trying to say, well, we don't have any kind of a short-term timeline You know, we're going to be in power for a long time, and we're not worried about this. So
3: it it makes the
2: negotiations, I think, that much more difficult.
0: What are you hearing on USMCA?
2: So one of the things I've been hearing from even some rural Democrats who um, are a little bit in the crosshairs here because they were elected in districts that had voted for Trump uh, is that they're saying you know, let's act like we can still get something done before the end of this year. So there's a little bit more pressure on them to still see if they can move the ball on USMCA. I'm still pretty optimistic that we can get passage of that by the end of the year. But as I mentioned, Mike, this, um, I mean, the, the news cycle has all focused now on impeachment. And I think to the extent that... Farmers and ranchers and some of these more blue dog Democrats still talk about the need to get something done in a legislative process yet before the end of the year. That bodes well for USMCA.
0: Hey, you know, they talk about in Congress they can do more than one thing at the same time. But something like, you know, A, we've seen that's been difficult for them at times, and B, something this big really just dominates everything.
2: It certainly does. And, you know, we've got huge needs on infrastructure. We've got fields that are being flooded yet again because we don't have levees repaired. We've got roads flooded. Uh, We have so many urgent needs in this country, and the list kind of goes on and on to immigration reform and those sorts of things. And so it would be really, really good if we could watch Congress go ahead with something like USMCA, which I think that there's been a lot of good discussions between the administration, certainly Ambassador Lighthizer and the working group for the Democrats. And I, I think there's a genuine interest in getting it passed. We just have to find enough of that sweet spot on enforcement and some of the labor regulations to make sure that everybody can get to yes.
0: And to show how things get drowned out, a big deal like U.S.-Japan, that's, that's a key deal, but it seems overshadowed by everything else.
2: It certainly is, and yes, it's not perhaps the ultimate deal that we would have had with uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but it does get us back in the game in a big way, and we've got uh, the folks that are working to see if something can still be done on India. I think that's maybe a larger uh, piece of uh, negotiating that still needs a little bit more finessing around the edges, but... You know, there are other markets out there, but without reclaiming at least a good part of the Chinese market, it's going to be difficult for U.S. farmers and ranchers to really get back on um, a a steady financial ground. And, you know, it's heartening to see that there were some more private sales activities of soybeans announced Mm -hmm. this morning, but um, we're still a long way behind in the game.
0: So we'll see what happens with the talks this week. Good to talk with you again, Sarah. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mike.
0: Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications, will talk about the weather next with DTM Meteorologist Bryce Anderson on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy
0: harvest recently on Adams on agriculture well the american farm bureau federation has released a proposal for the future of u.s milk pricing provisions and marketing order reform here to tell us about it is john newton chief economist for the american farm bureau federation john thanks for joining us uh wow the dairy marketing system the pricing system is a complicated one and has not really been uh overhauled in some time so this is quite an undertaking You
5: you know, Mike, there's an old adage in the dairy industry that that, uh, three or four people know how milk is priced in the United States, and and they better not all get on the same airplane. Uh, Milk pricing is is very, very complicated, and I think our folks, uh, our voting delegates in January, asked the American Farm Bureau to put together a working group uh, to think about ways to modernize and update uh, what's now an 80-year-old
0: system in the United States. For the information important to rule America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
6: With Make-A-Wish, the impossible becomes possible. A girl battling cancer can become a race car driver battling the course. The boy showing all the nurses his fire trucks can take the helm of a real one. Wishes can give kids with critical illnesses the strength to keep fighting, get better, and grow up.
3: Where
4: there's
6: a wish, there's a way. Wishes need you. Visit makeawish at wish.org.
0: Well, good harvest weather in some places, but uh, not so much in a lot of other places. Let's check in with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thanks for joining us. What's it look like this week ahead? Who will be able to get into the fields and who won't?
8: Well, I think, Mike, that uh, after uh, rainfall that we're seeing in the Delta and the Ohio Valley today, uh, that things are going to dry out, and uh, they will likely have a pretty quick uh, resumption of harvest, because uh, it's been very dry in that part of the country and uh, rainfall that they get is I think going to soak in pretty quickly and the ground is going to dry out. Uh, there will also be some chances for activity oh I'm going to say from central Missouri through um, much of the remainder of Illinois and then into Indiana and Michigan but when you're starting uh, to think about uh, Iowa Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas and Nebraska after we Uh, get through today and tomorrow, it's going to turn uh, pretty stormy, pretty, uh, you know, uh, in a pretty strong fashion uh, during the last of this week with rain and snow in the north and then uh, cold temperatures and some real strong winds. So it's going to be a a very uh, difficult, if not uh, just completely shut down uh, last three days of the week.
0: So this is a pretty big system coming in, then.
8: Yes, it is. Uh, it's forming right now in the Canadian Rockies, and will start uh, moving into the uh, north central part of the country during Tuesday and Wednesday. And it's packing quite a punch because the um, you know the support for this uh, cold air is uh, coming in all the way from the Arctic Circle. Uh, so there's uh, definitely uh, some cold air that is uh, behind this uh, frontal boundary that we're going to get. And along with that, uh, ahead of the uh, storm, there will be uh, plenty of moisture brought in out of the Gulf of Mexico to uh, produce a uh, pretty um, loaded atmosphere for precipitation. And uh, so there's uh, everything that's going to be in place for a big storm system, plenty of cold air, uh, plenty of moisture as well. And uh, like I say, there could be uh, rain, uh rainfall amounts of anywhere from uh, one to a couple inches and then snowfall uh, could possibly total over a foot in the far northern plains and into the southern Canadian prairies. I think that North Dakota is going to be the, the state, along with uh, you know northwestern Minnesota, that get the heavier snowfall. But like I say, the rain is going to be a pretty widespread feature as well.
0: And we've already got a lot of flooded or near flooded areas, uh, places where the rivers are back up and out again. Uh, this isn't going to help. No,
8: no, it won't. And and uh, along with that, I mean, there's just uh, so much wet ground that uh, it it really is uh, just uh, a bookend to the season. Starting with the uh, very wet spring that we had, and then here in harvest at the end of the season, we're going to have to put up with this as well. I was. Um, uh, traveling uh, through the weekend just in the area, uh, we had uh, some family activities in uh, Salina, Kansas uh, that we went to. And I was uh, struck by how wet things are in north central Kansas. And that was from a very uh, heavy rain system that moved through uh, the uh, central part of the country during the weekend. And then it kind of angled into the upper Midwest and left heavy rains as well. But uh, that. You know there's a lot of wet ground in uh, the central plains i did see a little bit of harvesting in south central southeastern nebraska on sunday but not that much and uh here we have uh you know the onset of another round of um what could be some pretty heavy precipitation and along with that some cold air Uh, we're going to see the low temperatures uh, get into the uh, 20s as far south as southern iowa Uh, during the end of this week and uh, not below 20s but at least the mid to upper 20s so that's obviously going to end the growing season and uh, there's going to be a lot of wind uh, with this uh, kind of wild pattern we've got Mike so I think that that's going to cause some damage as well Uh, probably knocking over corn stalks that have been um, you know kind of laboring through a not so great season already And here they're going to get kind of whipped around by some very strong winds, either from the southwest or from the northwest, and having some real challenges that way.
0: Yeah, not the the fall scenario we had hoped to see. We're talking with DTM meteorologist. Bryce Anderson, uh, but Bryce, there are some pockets, uh, I, I'm, I think I'm in one here in the central, west central Illinois, where we've been fortunate to be able to get uh, some harvesting done, and looks like maybe some more will get done this week, but it sounds like we're the exception rather than the rule.
8: Well, I, th- I think that really is the case. Um, the The uh, northwestern half of the Corn Belt uh, has, I think, had the, the most consistent round of difficult conditions uh, during this season on the precipitation side. I don't want to uh, take away, I don't want to downplay uh, the impact that um, what have been flash drought conditions have had in the southeastern part of the country. Because I think, Mike, what we saw was some some uh, kind of uh, quick drying of, of grain and soybeans to where you kind of wonder how yields are actually going to be when when everything is added up, but as far as the rainfall and the uh, windy conditions and everything, I think it certainly has been a a season where the northwestern half of the Corn Belt has had the um, most consistent round of issues uh, from that uh, part of the weather scene.
0: All right, so and our check on South America for their planting season, Uh, they've had some uh, challenges there. What's going on?
8: Yeah, they have. And, and, you know, things aren't that great in Brazil this week. The uh, south-central part of Brazil especially is going to have well under a half an inch of rainfall. Uh, That's southern Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso do Sul, Paraná. Uh, they're not going to get very much precip this week, and I don't know that they're going to be able to make a whole lot of uh, progress on soybean planting. Mato Grosso is going to see some rain, but that's even going to be kind of variable, and Goyas is in the same situation. So Brazil has had a slower start to their soybean planting, and I think it's going to continue this week. And I should mention also that in Argentina, the eastern half of their major crop areas has had pretty good rain, but the central and western parts have not. And Argentina's is uh, not going to see a whole lot of moisture this week either. Uh, they are a little bit later than Brazil uh, in terms of the timetable for putting crops in. But nonetheless, um, I think that there's reason to be uh, a little concerned about how the soil moisture is uh, going to be shaping up for Argentina, even at this early stage of their crop year.
0: So at least so far, they're not off to the start they were last year.
8: No, they are not. Particularly in Brazil, uh, a year ago, Brazil was pretty much going, um, you know, completely uh, full up on planting, uh, kind of from the get-go in late uh, September a year ago because they had very good rains and early start to their rainy season. This season, they're not having that, and it's showing up in terms of uh, just uh, how how little relatively speaking they've gotten planted they're they're running about uh, 5 percentage points or more uh, behind average uh, so they are are certainly not off to the start that i think they would like to uh, be be uh, going at at this point
0: all right so you've given us our forecast for the coming week what about uh, the rest of october what do the longer range forecast show
8: well, the pattern in October is is looking, I think, uh, you know, fairly mild on temperatures and uh, precipitation. In our view, is going to be a little bit less, so uh, you know, more on a near to below normal track. So, I, I think that October is going to give some chances for getting field work done, for getting harvesting in. Uh, the The uh, you know the limiting factor is, of course, that the season was so slow in getting going, so delayed. I think that uh, everything is going to be a consistent two weeks later over quite a few areas, again, especially in the northwestern belt, because of the uh, slow start to the season and the fact that we've had these uh, early fall rains now that have come in. And we know that as we get farther into the fall season, the opportunities for drying things out uh, get to be less and less. Uh, with the shorter day length, and so that just kind of adds to the idea that it's going to be a fairly drawn-out process uh, for harvest this year.
0: Yeah, really hard to to dry out very quickly at all in, in these kind of, uh, at this time of year, as you said, it, it really makes it tough. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. We'll check back with you next week.
8: Okay, Mike, thank you.
0: Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, so we've got this biofuels announcement last week from uh, the White House. Is it what the biofuels industry was hoping for? Are there still concerns, reservations? We'll get an assessment from the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff Cooper joins us next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're very happy to have with us today Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, Ambassador Greg Dowd. Greg, good to talk with you. Lots going on. Uh, Let's start with U.S. Japan. That deal, take us behind the scenes in negotiating that from an agricultural standpoint, what were the key areas and uh, the challenges you faced in getting that deal hammered out?
5: So what we've done here is, is Japan is now our third biggest market, 14 billion in ag trade. About uh, 5 billion of that was already duty free. Japan is going to reduce uh, agricultural tariffs, uh, 7.2 billion dollars. We're going to match that with a reduction in industrial tariffs. And the good news here is uh, Congress does not need to touch that. Uh, thank goodness, Mike, and uh, we, uh, we now have a situation where the Japanese diet uh, has to uh, review this uh,
0: deal. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: Time now for a Market check here on Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Brazilian farmers have started their soybean harvest and had finished work on 3.1% of the estimated area planted as of October 3rd. That according to agricultural consultancy Ag Rule. That's the slowest start since the 2013-2014 season. Last year on the date, 9.5% had been harvested, according to the group. Farmers in Brazil plant two crops per year, taking advantage of the country's mild winters. And a late start to planting the first crop can mean some producers have less time to plant the second. The USDA says that Chinese buyers have agreed to purchase 198,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery in the 2019-2020 marketing year. It's the latest wave of soybean purchases by China ahead of the meeting between the U.S. and China in Washington. This week, limited trade is seen Monday morning as live cattle futures are hovering in a narrowly traded range with the focus on outside market direction and potential moves in cash direction later in the week. Strong underlining pressure is developing in hog trade with the focus on trade uncertainty, weakening overall prices. Corn prices are higher in limited early trade with the December corn contract up a penny at 385 and three quarters. November soybeans down a penny and a half at 914 and three quarters. December Minneapolis spring wheat up three and a quarter at 539 and a quarter. Kansas City Wheat December up a fraction at 404 and a fraction. December Chicago wheat down three quarters at 489 and 3 quarters. For livestock at the Merck, December live cattle up 17 cents at 110.95. November feeders down a dime at 141.27. December lean hogs down $2.87 at 64.35. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network.
0: 4556. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for
1: a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, let's get more reaction to the biofuels uh, plan announced uh, Friday by the administration. Joining us now, the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, thanks for joining us. At first blush, it seems to be uh, a step in the right direction, but did it go far enough? What are your thoughts? Right.
5: Well, it is a step in the right direction, Mike, and I think it's it's good news, and, and we're encouraged by what we saw on Friday morning uh but you know we're not out of the woods yet and i think there's a lot of details uh that we still need to see uh, in terms of how this package is going to be implemented um you know again with the the, the broad brush strokes that are in the the plan that was announced on friday um uh, are encouraging we think they would go a long way to shoring up some of the problems we're seeing in the in the marketplace today um but this is really just the beginning of a process uh and now EPA takes the pen and, and is going to write a proposal and solicit public comment and probably do a hearing. Um so we got a long way to go yet and and uh uh really the work is just beginning, I think.
0: Okay, so it it puts a lot back into the hands of EPA. Does that make you nervous?
5: Well it, it does. Um I mean I think we've seen um how how that can go in the past and, and it's just going to take a very concerted effort on the part of our industry and our, and our uh, allied stakeholders to make sure that we're keeping an eye on EPA throughout this process, um, that our, our champions on the Hill continue to weigh in with, with EPA and the White House uh, to make sure that whatever this final package looks like uh, accurately reflects uh, the intention uh, of the president and, and you know, what he, what he agreed to and what he announced on, on Friday morning.
0: Okay, so a key was for, for, for your industry was to get reallocation of lost gallons. Is that addressed? Is that part of this?
5: It is part of it, and it's really the, the key part of, of this package um, that we were looking for. And uh, what the White House announced on Friday is that moving forward, uh, beginning in the 2020 RFS uh, rulemaking, EPA will be um, redistributing, Volumes of waived gallons or waived blending requirements uh, from small refineries—they'll be reallocating those requirements to larger, non-exempt refineries, uh, and that's that's a great first step. Um, you know, again, the, 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 what we were really looking for here is to stop the bleeding. We got to you know stop giving out retroactive small refiner exemptions without reallocation. Uh, this would do that. Um, this does not address, however, the, the 4 billion gallons of uh, lost volume, lost obligations that we've seen over the last few years because of these exemptions. Uh, we weren't really expecting it to, uh, and we think that's, uh, you know, that's a fight we're going to have to continue to fight in, in the courts. Um, and you know, potentially through the RFS reset rule, uh, we think that's probably the, the, the vehicle uh, by which we could get some, some reallocation or restoration of, of that lost volume that's been taken away over the last few years.
0: So if if I understand it correctly, what they're trying to say is uh, we're going to still probably grant exemptions, but we're going to yep. guarantee that the number that's required in the RFS is still going to be met. Is that Correct. <laughs>
5: Yeah, that's right, Mike. And, and what we've seen the last few years is, is you know, they come out with with the the RVO, and it says fifteen billion gallons on paper, and that looks great. Uh, but after they give out these retroactive uh, small refiner exemptions, that fifteen billion gallon requirement isn't fifteen billion gallons anymore. It's it's been you know somewhere in the neighborhood of thirteen point six up to thirteen point eight or thirteen point nine. So we've been cutting more than a billion gallons a year. Um, off of the RFS requirements, um, the, the action that EPA and, and USDA and the White House announced on Friday would prevent that from happening. It would keep the 15 billion from sliding backward uh, to 14 or 13 and a half. It would make sure that 15 billion gallons means 15 billion gallons. And, and yes, some small refineries may get uh, you know exempted or excused from their blending obligations, uh, but that volume is going to be re-added. Uh, to the to the obligations for the larger refiners and 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 the RFS will be kept whole in that manner. So uh, that is what uh, that is what we are looking for. That is what we think uh, this package is going to do. But again, the details in how that all gets done are, are very important, and we're awaiting those details in the form of a proposed rule from EPA.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what about this three-year rolling average? How does that work?
5: Yeah, and that, and that's how EPA would uh, uh, effectively uh, redistribute the the lost blending obligations because they they don't know exactly right now how many small refineries are going to ask for an exemption in 2020, how much volume would be exempted in 2020 because 2020 hasn't happened yet. Um, so what they what they do know is how much they have exempted over the previous three years. We're saying take that three year average and use that as your best estimate of, of how much volume you are going to exempt from small refiners in 2020 and build that into the RVO calculation on the front end. Um, and, and that is the, you know, that's the way in which uh, that volume is, is reallocated. So sure, you can get to the end of 2020 and you can retroactively exempt some small refineries from their obligations, but it won't matter because uh, that volume will have already been made up Made up for uh, with uh, kind of an increase in the in the volumes for the larger refiners.
0: We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, there was also some things in there about uh, helping with E15 and higher blends uh, at the pump, uh, making them more available. What do you see in there?
5: Well, we we see some some positive uh, provisions in here. Again, the details are going to be very important in how this gets rolled out and and when it gets rolled out. Um, it, it wasn't exactly clear to us if, if some of the E-15 provisions and some of the other things will be addressed altogether with the reallocation piece or if this is a separate rulemaking. Um, so those are some of the things we're still trying to find out. Uh, but, you know, essentially the, the White House agreed to uh, modify or, or eliminate or, or significantly change the uh, E-15 pump label that, uh, that, that is in the marketplace today. Um, you know, today we have a situation, Mike, where a consumer pulls up to, to the pump, they may see E15 for the very first time, they see a lower price, they see higher octane, and, they, and then they see this, this bright orange and black warning label that says, stop, you can't use this unless your vehicle is built in 2001 or later, and you could be breaking the law if you, you know, put it into an older vehicle. Um, and, and so it's kind of the equivalent of the, you know, skull and crossbones or kind of the, the warning label that you see on a, on a pack of cigarettes or something. And so it's, it's been a deterrent. And uh, what we're saying is, you know, look, we can communicate that same information or the necessary information to consumers in a much uh, more appealing way and a, and a friendlier way. Um, and so we're hopeful that EPA is, is uh, going to, you know, initiate very quickly a rulemaking process uh, to streamline that that labeling requirement and, and and remove other barriers, frankly, to the sale of E fifteen.
0: So you sound what I would say cautiously optimistic.
5: Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it, Mike. Um, you know, I, we, we looked at the the market's reaction on Friday to the news, and it was uh, fairly tepid. Um, and, and I think that's reflective of the fact that that people want more details. People want the nuts and bolts of of how this is going to work and when it's going to get done and i think that's the point where we're going to start to see uh... some improvement in the in the in the conditions in the marketplace it's as you know an extremely difficult uh... market environment today um... the whole purpose of this package was to provide some relief uh... to corn and and ethanol producers who have been harmed by these exemptions uh... so we, we want to get the ball rolling here and get these things finalized get them implemented Uh, so we can get the industry back on its feet and and, uh, growing again, get the RFS back in the posture of of providing growth to the marketplace.
0: I've heard some concerns raised already in opposition by some oil state members of Congress, but haven't heard a huge outcry from the oil industry. Are you hearing that, or should we be concerned that uh, if they're not more vocal, then they're not too worried about this? How should we interpret all this?
5: We've certainly heard some, uh, you know, screams of of bloody murder from from the oil uh, industry and and from their supporters in Congress. Uh, You know, we saw lots of statements out Friday that this is somehow going to cause job losses at at oil refineries, and I I think that's just uh, ludicrous to suggest, um, especially when this isn't... You know, this isn't uh, constricting EPA's ability to give exemptions to small refineries. It's just saying if, if you if you do that, you got to make up for it somewhere else in the program. Um, the, the reaction, I, I think, uh, was maybe not as, as strong as we expected it would be immediately. Uh, but we also know, Mike, that that, uh, that those guys, are our friends in the oil industry, are, are working uh, diligently to try and undermine or derail this process. Um, and so it's going to take you know, uh, take a, a uh, concerted effort to, to really circle the wagons around this, this package and make sure that this rulemaking gets done in a way that's legally defensible and, and really uh, does what we need it to do and, and, and implements uh, the, the promises that the president made to the industry.
0: So Friday was a big step and seemingly a step in the right direction, but it's just a step. There's more to do on this. And, Jeff, I know that uh, your group will be working hard to uh, uh, hold EPA and the administration accountable on this. Thank you for being with us. Appreciate your input.
5: All right. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it.
0: Take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right. How does the biodiesel industry feel about the announcement Friday and where we go from here? We're going to talk with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Get their reaction. That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early, like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. 180
2: over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk.
7: 180, over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet,
10: and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org.
4: I had to tell.
10: Everything's changed Head to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical
0: Association, and the Ad Council.
10: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end good in you can live on in fact you could save up to eight lives with your gifts your heart could keep beating your kidneys could keep filtering and your intestines could keep on digesting for others and that's not all you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor restoring sight and health and you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
4: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple, we build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
0: about 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain if you're part of that 80% you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat
8: and dries grain more evenly with FS propane you can increase harvest quality improve productivity
10: and lower fuel cost propane from FS ensures dependable supply FS offers services and flexible convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply for grain drying choose FS propane FS propane
0: brings the heat Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. With Synex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep
1: your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: All right. So uh, waiting on Kurt Kavarik from the National Biodiesel Board uh, to get the biodiesel industry's reaction to the administration's biofuels plan that was announced on Friday. But as you heard Jeff Cooper say, uh, representing the ethanol industry, uh, cautiously optimistic. It's a good first step. Uh, But there's so many details, so many questions yet to be answered on how this uh, process plays out now. And um, it's not like it's all cut and dried and, and done right now. It's going to take some time to work out. i got a rulemaking process to go through with EPA and um, you know things to be worked out to see how this goes. But uh, And it's going to have plenty of challenges uh, from the oil industry and the, their supporters in Congress. So it's not by any means a done deal, but it certainly seems to address some of the key issues that the biofuels industry has had. as concerning uh, the small refinery exemptions, not that they're not going to be any more of those but uh, if you protect the integrity of the 15 billion gallons uh, required in the rfs that is a huge step forward because as we've said so many times before uh, you can require it but if you're going to let people out of it then it's not really a hard number it's not 15 billion as we pointed out it's more like 14 billion or or even less so uh, if they can protect that integrity moving forward that's, that's key. Now Kurt Kavark joins us, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thank you for being with us. From a biodiesel industry perspective, what did you think of Friday's announcement?
11: Uh, good morning, uh, Mike. Glad to be with you. Well, as an industry, we're, we're pleasantly um, looking forward to uh, EPA moving forward to fulfill the President's commitment that was announced on, on Friday. What, what this does is it moves us at least one step in the right direction, as you mentioned, to, to returning the integrity of the renewable fuel standard. We've seen erosion uh, of volumes under the RFS, under this administration, uh, because EPA has manipulated the small refiner exemption uh, provision to, to allow uh, waiving hundreds of millions of gallons. And this has uh, harmed biodiesel specifically in terms of uh, the biodiesel gallons that have been waived, uh, we've lost, um, you know, close to 400 million gallons over the last handful of years. That has had uh, a significant negative effect on our producers' ability to to operate in this space. Uh, we've had, I think, it's now nine plant closures across the country as a result of this uncertainty and the demand destruction. Uh, so I'm hopeful that with this action, we begin to kind of chart a new course uh, uh, back. Uh, in line with with what Congress intended, to grow markets, to provide certainty for producers, and to add value both to the soybean oil um, and to consumers in in terms of clean air.
0: But because of the lack of details, there are these lingering questions. What are the big questions moving forward for you?
11: Well, the CPA has proven time and again uh, that with the best intentions, they're still able to um, undermine the renewable fuels industry in favor of uh, oil interests and refinery interests. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on this. The, the fact of the matter is, the the president in that announcement on Friday indicated that uh, they want to put an end to um, the loopholes created by small refiner exemptions and accounting for those gallons. The devil is obviously going to be in the details. There has been uh, talk about how they could do that. It was obviously uh, offered in the interagency review process during the past couple rulemakings on the rfs so we know it's possible uh but we have to you know hold epa's feet to the fire on this there's there's no doubt that the oil industry is upset with the announcement from last friday they want they would like to kill the rfs program they 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 went a good way to to uh undermine the integrity of the program through the use of small refiner exemptions so you know, we have to be on guard. They, they, they will not stop in their efforts to try to undermine this program and put our members out of business. So uh, the devil's in the details. We'll be paying close attention.
0: As I say, the, the track record of EPA on this uh, policy on biofuels has to make you somewhat nervous or at least uh, uh, apprehensive a bit.
11: That's right, without a doubt. I mean, this EPA, uh, you know, make no mistake, they've been helpful in other areas. Uh, to the ag industry and the farmers, whether it's WOTUS or or other regulations. But this issue, um, they have been more aligned with the refining interests. So uh, particularly with the previous administrator, there was was no lengths to which he would not go to help his friends in the oil industry. Unfortunately, uh, under Mr. Wheeler, it hasn't been that significantly better. Uh, But we're hopeful that, you know, the buck stops with the President of the United States. Uh, He got personally engaged on this issue. He wanted to make sure there was a resolution of this problem uh, that his EPA caused. He heard the outcry from farmers um, and biofuels producers, particularly in the Midwest, and and from those senators that represent those states. So at the end of the day, I have every confidence that the president is going to ensure that the commitment that he made on Friday is going to stick.
0: What are you hearing uh, that the administration may do on this countervailing duties issue on uh, biodiesel from Argentina?
11: Very good, very good question. So there was actually in this, in this agreement that came out on Friday, uh, there was a component of that that simply said we're going to work uh, to advance the interests in international trade for both ethanol and biodiesel. We took that to mean uh, that they recognize the, the wins that we've fought for uh, to fight at a level playing field. We played by the rules. We got this uh, decision through Commerce in 2018. Um, We're actually going in to meet with the Secretary of Commerce next week, our our Fair Mm -hmm. Trade Coalition of the National Biodiesel Board. Uh, So we're hopeful that at the end of the day they'll recognize that, you know, this president has been all about America first and fighting for better trade deals for uh, American industry and farmers. Uh, We'd like them to be consistent in that and maintain the win for domestic biodiesel producers.
0: So you're going to get a meeting with them.
11: We are going to get a meeting with him, um, and the fact of the matter is this decision could come any time within the next couple of weeks. So we're very pleased uh, to have an audience with the secretary. We know he's met with the Argentinians on this, so we're pleased that he's uh, being fair to both uh, stakeholders. And at the end of the day, like I said, our, our interest is to, to help them understand the detriment that this would have on the domestic soybean farmer and the U.S. biodiesel industry if they were to provide this accommodation to the Argentinians.
0: All right, Kurt, we'll be looking for news on that front uh, soon as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
11: Glad to be with you, sir.
0: Take care. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.